Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, the podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Midam Yi about his thoughts on global citizenship. Midam is a network instructional coach at the Learn Charter School in Chicago. He talks about the need for educators to nurture the voices of their students. He is also a writer and shares a children's book he is writing for his one-year-old daughter about what it means to hold multiple identities. Enjoy the conversation. Um, so my name is Midam Yi. I am a network instructional coach at the Learn Charter School here in Chicago. So I'm in the Chicago area. Actually, I do live in Chicago. Um, and I just actually started this role uh, this month in August. But I, this would be my second year as an instructional coach. And previous to that, I've been a teacher for over a decade now. Yeah. So thank you so much, Midam, for, for being on the podcast. I'm very excited to learn more about your journey as an educator. And congratulations on this, thank this you. recent change in your uh, your career. Um, you're going to do great. And um, yeah, you're going to be supporting many, many schools, and they're very fortunate to have you in the district. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on your podcast. I um, just, I was very honored when you had asked me. So I'm so happy to, to have you. And likewise, the feeling is uh, very much the same for me. I feel very honored to, to have you on the, the podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I like to start these podcasts with kind of a general overview of your professional background. And so if you can share just, you know, several significant landmarks, you know, in yeah. your, your journey um, that you felt were really pivotal for you to get to where you are now, I think that yeah. would really help set, like really lay the, the groundwork for our conversation about global citizenship. Absolutely. So when I started undergrad, I was an English literature major with a focus on media and so the idea was for me to try and pursue a journalism career. And the reason why is like I, I was into writing, obviously. And then I was hoping to use that as a platform to share stories that were going on around the world. Um, when I got my first internship, I noticed how cutthroat that business is, right? And it was it just wasn't in my personality to uh be as cutthroat as some of my former interns were or my colleagues were and I just didn't have that like ice in my veins as some people call it to to really um, push others out to elevate yourself right in 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 a, in a very negative way and, and that might just have been my experience at that in that particular internship but I knew that um, I wanted to pursue something that was still uh, reaching people and in, in talking to people and helping people and in, in learning about people and educating people in a variety of ways. So I, I after I had realized that journalism just wasn't for me, I kind of was like in this limbo of like, what do I want to do next? And I ended up getting a job with McGraw-Hill as an editorial coordinator. So I was like, hey, you know what? English major. I have um, some skills that I can bring to the table for editing. And my uh, McGraw-Hill is focused on education. So I decided to combine the two and be like, well, this will be a good way for me to help people using my English skills, right? Um, but it was in that year that I was there, I also realized that I was just stuck in a cubicle. And that just wasn't for me. I needed to have that human element where I was talking to people, interacting, building relationships with people. And from there, I realized, why don't I actually go into the trenches? Why don't I go to the front line and actually become an educator and, um, you know, make an impact that way? So it was from that point, after one year of McGraw-Hill, I started to uh, find different teaching jobs. I taught um, English for uh, Chinese immigrants in the Chicago Chinatown area for a year and then I got my first teaching gig through a an organization called Academy of Urban School Leadership 
um, teaching math and a little bit of uh, reading to kids in the south side of Chicago. And, and they also had a teaching residency program. And from there, it just built, uh, we got some momentum there and I was able to uh, get my master's in the arts of teaching. And I got my job at Back of the Arts neighborhood in Chicago and I kept going and going and here I am today, still in education, but now with a new role as a coach. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I like how um, there seems to be this, this through line with um, really wanting to connect with people face to face, right? Knowing mm -hmm. how to reach out to them, you know, talk with them, help educate them. Yeah. And um, that, you know, being in a cubicle or kind of always feeling like you have to look around your shoulder because there might be someone there in like yeah. this industry of journalism to kind of like you know, stab you in the back or steal something. I mean, I, I can tell that, yeah, it, it was, it's important through those experiences, you found out what you did not want, right? Which is actually very important when it comes right. to career. I think that's really right. great advice. Yeah, it, man, I, I'm telling you the cubicle experience was rough for me. Like I, I was desperate to find people to talk to, people to build relationships with. And so whenever I would pop over to one of my coworkers, they would kind of give me a glance and then look off and be like, what do you want? What are you doing here? Don't you have stuff to do? I was like, I do, but I want to take like a five minute break. Just say, Hey, what's up? How's your day going? And, and I knew immediately that the culture in that office, it wasn't a bad culture. It just was a different one. Right. Then, than what I wanted and what I was um, expecting. So um, yeah, like you're saying, like I just needed to get out of there and figure out, uh, in a, a spot where I, I can have that human connection. And that that's that human element is such an important aspect for me. So yeah, and that that this emphasis that you're putting on human connection, um, it, it makes me think about your your interest in in English, right? Through language, through the, the you know literature itself, um, that is also a really strong form of of connection uh, between individuals and cultures. Mm -hmm. everything um I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what led up to you deciding to do to choose English as your major um yeah how far back does this passion for for English go um yeah kind of like yeah trace that for us a little bit yeah um I was a big book nerd growing up my parents uh, were like they're just like you know if you want to play your video games you want to watch your movies you better read your books right and my dad he's he's like an academic he's a scholar he 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 has his own business right now and he does sign construction which is kind of like funny to think about because I'm like you you wouldn't think there's like a academic scholar behind that but he is one of the most intelligent men I know and his home office was always surrounded filled and surrounded with books and so growing up I was always around that and so my my favorite thing as a kid was always going to the library was always going to the um, bookstore picking up a book and reading and I could read for days and from there I was thinking about like writing my own stories um, and I, I, I remember I had a huge box of notebooks just filled with a bunch of different types of stories that I used to write as a kid. And it would be stories like about like uh, Super Mario, right? And my own take on it. It's almost like the early versions of fanfic. <laughs> and, and I had a bunch of those um, notebooks out. And from there, my passion just grew for writing. But also, I just, I, I didn't initially want to pursue an English major because there were pressures from my family background where I needed to pursue something that would produce like a fruitful, uh, successful career that was measured by like money, right? And so I knew that if I were to pursue a career, something with writing that wasn't going to, um, that wasn't going to go over well with my, my family. So uh, I, I went into UIC, not sure of like what to do. And I think it was my sophomore year in undergrad where I finally said, you know what, screw this. I'm going to, this is what I want to do. 
I, I have a passion for it. I love writing. It, it, it's very therapeutic for me. I, I, I get to challenge myself creatively and express myself in a way where maybe talking about my feelings and my thoughts don't translate well over, right? So I finally just went in and declared my major. And then I remember having dinner with my parents and just being like, hey, just to let you know, I decided that I'm an English major. And I was met with silence and no one said anything. My parents just nodded their head. And that was that. I thought I thought it was going to be a dramatic explosion of, of emotions and like lecturing, but it actually went a lot more smooth than I thought. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that it, it, it worked out. And clearly, you know, you're doing very, very well for yourself with many different experiences that you've had. And I know that you you continue with these writing projects of yours. We can get into that a little bit later. Um, yeah. I think it's very important and it's very yeah. exciting because you know I'll be I'll be on the the list for getting like the the first copy. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> of course, man. Of course, got to support yeah. the friends. Um, but right. you know, like uh, I really I really resonate with with your story about um, you know growing up. It's funny. I I found myself surrounded by books, but not out of a deep like innate passion to read them but mm. because of my uh my mom's strong desire that like I want you to be an avid reader because then yeah. you're successful and so yeah. I have so many memories of like my mom lugging both my sister and I to the public library yeah. my mom just being like all right just do the thing I just we're gonna <laughs> be for a couple hours so yeah you know, yeah and uh, and it was her way of really encouraging us to um yeah to kind of be open to to reading and to find yeah. pleasure and and it's hard right everyone kind of goes they they approach it differently and um yeah and then you know you sharing about your your father um being an academic and I think parents are such strong role models for us and so yeah. in this case he played it he was very positive in showing you like how serious um academics is but mm -hmm. also, um, you know, what comes of that is like this, um, you know, probably joy or pride that one has in the work that they do. Um, and I'm sure he conveys it in a different way. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned at one point, he was a little bit more reserved guy. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah. If, you ever, if you ever get a chance to meet my dad and you, you say, hello, how are you? How's it going? What do you do? What's, how's life? He's most likely going to respond with like a nod. A nod. All and right. I'm going to look at my dad and be like, come on, man, you got to say at least a word or two, you know? So he is a very reserved guy. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, not quite the, the people person that, that you are. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, in comparison to my father, I am more of a people person. Yeah. yeah. I'm an in, uh, extroverted introvert, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would, I would also categorize myself that way too. I mean, I know where my comfort zone is to be more kind of by myself, but I know how to turn on the ext extrovert when I need to, especially as a teacher, right? And you really oh, have, you're in front of everyone, yeah. um, or as a coach, right? I mean, you're really yeah. looked at with like, okay, they 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 know, right? You you got to yeah. respond. Um, so that actually kind of brings me to uh, the next kind of I guess question of mine, um, which relates to this this transition of yours away from journalism, away from the, the office job at uh, McGraw-Hills and your decision to be like, okay, well, if I really want to be in front of people and make a difference at, at like a grassroots level, you, you, you use the, the phrase, um, you know, to put yourself in the trenches, right? And, you know, I'm going to become a teacher. Um, yeah. Could you maybe unpack that a little bit more about like this perception of yours when you started uh, yeah, I it felt like you were throwing yourself into the trenches. It has somewhat of a negative connotation to to yeah. it. So, what was it like in those early years as a teacher? And then, how have you progressed in your teaching career over the span of a decade? Yeah, um, I use the term trenches to describe a lot of the teaching experience because, I mean, the job itself is very difficult. We're we're dealing with. Um, depending on your location, we, we have to deal with a variety of issues with students, right? Whether it's academic or SEL. And then we have to also deal with things that are at the systems level, well, systems within the school, right? And that can be 
depending on how, how well you can handle this level of stress from those systems that are established will be determined by the type of leadership that you have. Right. And, and so if, even if you have a good leader, sometimes there's, there's a person above that leader that will also make things life difficult for a teacher. Right. Um, and then there are like the community aspect that you also have to deal with. Sometimes you'll deal with positive supporting parents and sometimes you won't have that. Um, and there, and that's always been like uh, a challenge too for, for some of the places that I've been a part of. And juggling all those things at once is a very stressful um, experience, right? You, you you would you think you're going in there just to teach and make connections with the students, but there's just multiple hats that you have to wear. Hats that I was unaware of, but I knew that I had to step up right away. I had to, it was like they threw me in the deep end. And I was like, I got to either sink or swim. I got I to swim right now. And so I learned that very quickly in my first year of teaching where it's not just teaching uh, content, but it's also teaching life skills. It's also teaching people how to be a good citizen of the community, right? And it's it's also building uh, relationships with the people that you work with. It's also learning how to play the political game at times with the leaders of your school and even the superintendents of your school district. It's also, um, I don't know what the right word would be to describe this, but just being like the bridge between you, the leaders, the students and the parents and the other community leaders that are around. And so it's almost like no matter how hard, and there were times where no matter where where it was like, no matter how, how hard we work, sometimes, you know, people would just be angry at you for a variety of reasons. And it's just like we were getting beat up left and right, left and right. And and so it, I I remember I was talking to one of my colleagues, and it's like, man, teachers, we're like in a war zone sometimes. And 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 we are taking hits left and right. We are getting shelled. And and he he was the one that said to me, he's like, we're in the trenches, buddy. We're in the front line of this battle of trying to uh, provide equitable, uh, meaningful educational experience with these kids. Our good intentions are there, but people don't oftentimes recognize that we have these good intentions and they just want to find people to be angry at and we are typically the, the groups of people that they will be angry at right and so that term like we're in the trenches we're in the front lines it kind of just like stuck with me because I just remember feeling feeling like that right and so yeah that's where that comes from yeah I, I totally I totally feel you <laughs> I, I also felt like um, you know being thrown uh, into the deep end of the pool really sums up my first year experience as well, being a teacher. And so, you know, being fellow teachers, we can really <laughs> understand like, okay, yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I felt somewhat beat down at times. Um, you know, the the issue of burnout is, is quite real um, and everyone kind of experiences it differently. Um, the way that you were, you know, sharing about all the various stakeholders within a school community, it just seems like, one is stacked on top of the other and it's just mm -hmm. compounding effects until suddenly, you know, there's the teacher at the bottom, just trying to hold it up. Somewhere, yeah. you know? um, or at least that's the sensation that a lot of teachers feel and the sense of like obligation for the students that they're serving. Because I think to be a teacher, you, you know, you're not, you're not in it for the pay, you know, <laughs> this is not Wall Street. Definitely not. Yeah. So you're really there to, to support uh, to nurture the growth of young human beings who who want to live a good life pretty much um so it's it's a very noble you know aspiration uh, that sometimes gets a little bogged down by the you know the harsh realities uh that comes with like the community that you're serving um is there like a particular moment um would you say that like stands out um in these past 10 years as a teacher that really um, I don't know, really tested you in terms of like what it means to be a resilient teacher, because I think we say, oh yeah, you got to be resilient, but mm. like, can you put, can you put an example to it? Something that just kind of immediately pops to your head? Yeah. I, so this was probably the 2018, 2019 school year. 
And the principal that I was working with, I mean, she was one of the best leaders I've ever worked with. And suddenly out of nowhere, she decided to um, accept another principal job in the district. And so it came as a shock because the vision and the mission that we had prepared for for the following school year was going to, I, we, we both believed that it was going to elevate our school to a whole new level. And I was just, I remember just getting ready um, and being very excited for what was coming. We had such good initiatives planned out and yeah, I, I just had this level of excitement um, to get that school year started. And I remember receiving a text message where she did tell me that, you know, she was leaving to accept another role. And the shock and that I felt was, um, it was, it was actually, I, I remember it being very heavy and very, there's just a lot of like pain there because this was someone that I really looked up to. And I, I still do. I still do. Um, I remember going to her office literally that same day and like telling her, like, we need to, I need you to stay. I, I, I'm, I'm still learning how to be a leader. I, I need you to help me be the leader that you know that I can be. And she, she, I remember she was like, you are already that leader that you can be. You just have to have a little more confidence in yourself. You have to believe that you can continue to grow despite the situation despite the circumstances and so when she left and we we had this new principal come in um i was very much tested as as one of the school leaders because we, she she had a very different approach a lot more aggressive approach and i had to uh, remember all of the advice all of the trainings that i received all of the meetings that i received from my previous principal to really try and interact and have a professional relationship with the new one that came in. And that year was just very challenging because the morale of the staff was just absolutely destroyed. Um, students recognized, were able to like truly see the, um, the staff just have, there's a lot of infighting. So they, they were able to recognize it and they knew that and it really affected their mood, their attitudes, and their level of excitement and engagement with, with the school. And so I had to figure out a way to try and cultivate and, and recalibrate, essentially, the, the, the entire school culture with very little support from any of the stakeholders there because there was just a lot of division going on, a lot of infighting. And... On top of that, trying to also just do my job and be there for my students was just a lot. And so that school year was the year that I truly learned about grit, resilience, um, being able to handle multiple projects at the same time, not giving up on myself and being able to say that, like, I can't do this alone and seeking out people to come and help me and also seeking outside help, too, to just say, I need, I just need help. Give me advice. I had mentors and other coaches come in um, and provide support that, you know, if I didn't have it, I don't, I don't even know how I would have gotten through that, that phase. Um, and th the school year ended uh, on a positive note. We at least uh, data-wise, uh, a lot of students uh, made gains. And we started to see signs of like positivity starting to come back in. And so that, that to me was like a testament to not just the stuff that I learned about resilience and grit, but the people that were also a part of that journey that eventually came in and stepped in to also help me and support me through all that. So the 2018-19 school year was definitely a school year that I, I won't forget. But you, you became stronger as a result of it. And Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, this story that you shared about the change in, in school leadership with this, this principal relationship um, with the, the old and new principal, what that meant for you um, in the, the really difficult and probably chaotic situation with all the infighting. Um, it, it was a story of, of, you know, or an example, right, of, of re resilience, how you became more resilient. But I also think, and this is something I really want to highlight, um, it shows your 
um, desire to learn from others, your your ability to ask for help when the situation demanded it, right? When you came up against certain, you know, I don't know, um, issues that maybe um, you felt like you needed support emotionally, you needed support in terms of like, you know, professionally, like what is what is the assessment of another? And I think as a leader, you need to have those skills in some ways. Uh, and I could be wrong, but the sudden, you know, absence of this, this, uh, you know, established principle that you looked to as a role model actually created some crazy condition, some an environment that tested yeah. you in all yeah. the ways that she knew you could handle it. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that she left because she was just like, you know what, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I think Midham needs a challenge. You know, that's, she probably <laughs> has so many other reasons, but yeah. I think there's a positive spin to it is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think the conditions really, it was, it was another sink or swim moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My first year of teaching was a sink or swim moment. And I had another one and I believe that there will be more to come. And I think these experiences are all just like tying itself together for me to just get ready for the next challenge. I mean, that's just life, right? Like the challenges, the hardships, they never end, mm -hmm. but tell me go through it we we just we add more tools to our toolkit and we were a little more prepared yeah the next time around yeah, doesn't yeah. mean to it all but we're, we're better prepared yes wise words and you know I, something that you mentioned um a little bit uh, ago that it's not just about like the content that we teach but i mean there's like life skills that are mixed into it when you're in the classroom like, yeah. the way that you present um, and the the thing the things that you are concerned about um yeah this this all kind of comes across and you know the students are constantly observing they're, they're watching listening closely even if they're not you know even if they're just like on their phone or something like they're they're still processing it and so um, I feel like yeah that this question of like well what are these life skills and what am I preparing them for what kind of world are they going to be going into I think weighs heavy on a lot of teachers' minds, definitely yours. Um, so, you know, in in your current capacity um, as a instructional co uh, instructional coach, um, I'm curious to hear uh, from you if you know, like, in, in what ways do you try to bring that that emphasis on like kind of preparation beyond just curriculum when you're engaging with your students, and you know, you, is is it to like prepare them to be good citizens, or have you kind of considered um, elements of like what a global citizen might entail um, for preparation beyond you know just their time as students and yeah. it's kind of a really broad question uh, did, did that make sense no it, it makes uh, sense when you first told me about your podcast I, I immediately thought about one particular group of students that I was teaching and I, I got to loop with them I started with them in fourth fifth sixth and seventh grade and when and and one of the big things that we actually talked about was like how to be a good citizen in your community. And, and that, that entailed a lot of teaching around empathy, compassion, respect for diversity, respect for multiple perspectives. And how do we take those perspectives and learn from each other and apply to things in our lives and challenge our values and even our belief systems. Right. And when I, when I think about global citizenship, it's just, we how the world is becoming more interconnected. So what is our role in this role? How do we continue to find ways to make it a more fair and equitable place for people? How do we find ways to bring more peace to the communities, to to end violence, to to also create a sustainable environment, a sustainable world to live in, right? Those are all things that I've spent a lot of time talking to my students. And even as I talk to my teachers uh, about uh, teaching in the classroom, and I always make sure to share with them, like content is important, but make sure you also try to find ways to fit in those SEL skills, but also just remind them that like you, these things that you're learning is also preparing you to be a citizen of the world. How, what are, what are some ways that these, like a math skill or a reading skill or things that you're learning in science and and history going to open doors for you to be a part of this community? How are you going to um, um, establish yourself in a way that 
where where you can um, be a contributing member, whether it's at a micro or macro level, right? Um, so I was very excited to to be a part of this podcast because it, it it was just like an opportunity for me to reflect upon like all of the stuff that you know that I've been able to do with my students, but also I got to I I did spend a lot of time reflecting about like what how did I also become a global citizen um, today, right? And so um, it was just a lot of teaching about empathy and compassion and just like talking about diversity, talking about developing a voice and identity and advocating for yourself and advocating for the ones who are often forgotten and often marginalized, right? And and my students who were able to dive into that, uh, we, we would usually select like an issue that's going on in, in the current event world. And, and we typically found like one day out of the week to hold morning meetings to come up with community projects that would help address those issues and you know it was very like when I think about those morning meetings and I think about the students getting excited and also just getting really fired up and passionate about this and then learning about what is the the realities of what's actually happening that those are some of the things I'm more proud of than any data that I could get for testing, right? Like seeing my students say, no, you know, like I need to find ways to help these people. I need to find ways to use my voice. I need to develop skills that's going to get me to a place where I can advocate. I can make this world a better place, right? That to me was more um, meaningful than, than any of the other stuff related to content. Although it's important. I'm not going to downplay that. But I wanted to see my students become advocates. So will my little social justice warriors and go out there and 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 fight for the people, right? So yeah. I have this image <laughs> of like these little social justice warriors emerging from the trenches just yeah. all across like you know the different corners of the world just saying you their, know, it's because I keep using all these like war like <laughs> analogies and I'm not like I'm actually not I don't know why I keep referring it to like trenches and warriors, but I don't know that that that's just something that like comes out of me. Yeah, well, it's just so embedded within our culture. These metaphors are quite powerful, and um, yeah, it's I understand where you're coming from, though. <laughs> I get it, um, and you know, I just I find it so so beautiful, like what you're sharing. Um, how that's that's where you know the. When, when we're in like a difficult situation as a teacher, we're run down, we're like, why am I doing this? It's like these certain moments or like recalling memories of those like, um, what is it? What, what were they called? The mornings, the Monday morning. morning. Yeah. 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 So like recalling those moments where students suddenly, you know, got excited or they were speaking with great passion about an issue that I think that's, you know, that's where the good stuff is with, with yeah. educating and um, and we want to see more of that. It's it's difficult when um, curriculum can be, you know, let's say bloated with a, a lot of information and like testing that um, can maybe be a little questionable when it's actually kind of considered in the larger context of like, how is this really going to apply beyond, yeah. you know, their high school time. And, um, and you know, you, you use the word um, like voice a lot, right? about voicing their opinions to how, what does it mean to like foster your own voice yeah i think as like a young person especially at that age of like you know when they're like in middle school especially in high school getting ready for college perhaps um but like more and more like the world is going to ask you know what is what do you have to contribute what do you have to say and um and there's such like urgent need for leaders to use their voice to really like bring about change to gather groups of individuals or to show through their own actions using their own skills what have you but i feel like how to get someone to like really lay claim to their voice and use it with confidence i think that's such an important um, attribute for a global citizen whether they stay in their you know Chicago suburb, wherever they're from for the rest of their lives, or they're, you know, just kind of going from place to place and they're, you know, setting roots down in one country or the other. 
I think it really stems from like this place of voice. And so I know for you, um, you know, one of the ways that you use your voice is through your writing, right? Yeah. And so this kind of brings me to um, kind of looping back to the the English major. <laughs> um, you know, what what are different ways in which you've used your your voice to kind of convey, um, you know, your values or what your aspirations are for for young people? And I know you use your voice a lot as an instructional coach, but maybe putting that aside, um, I, I know there's other other things too. Like, could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So. That was a nice little segue, Scott. I, I like that. Um, so like you said, writing is another way for me to express myself, right? And I think for the longest time, I've had a hard time letting people read my writing. And I have a, one of my one of my closest friends, he he always encouraged me to open that up a little bit more. It doesn't, I don't have to like bring a, hundreds of people in, but slowly, incrementally. And and as I let more people in, they, they're like, you know, you should continue to share your writing a little more. And so I, I, I started to feel a little more confident, a little less insecure about exposing it. And eventually, I, once I got over that hump, I was able to say, like, you know, there were, there were a bunch of these projects I wanted to work on. And I know I shared with you before, but like one of the things that I'm currently working on is a is a children's book that's based on my daughter. And so my daughter is Korean and Mexican. And it for for people, for kids who have two cultural backgrounds in them, it's identity is a big thing, right? And their place in the world, right? Where they might be asking, am I more Korean or am I more Mexican or am I not, do I not belong to either one of those because I'm not whole, as some people might say, right? And so this, the idea of this is to create this book to um, talk about that, to talk about the complexities of having two different cultures in, in one person and how do, how do you navigate that? what questions are there and and that are going to arise and how do we address it? Um, and ultimately, I think with this book is also to say that like, you're not more of one side or the other, but you are two things put together to make one whole, right? It's to say that you are still Mexican. It's still to say that you are still Korean or whatever other cultures that are... Um, that are also that make make up the person right and with this book i my hope is to share um is to share that with everybody to share share like the complexities of race and uh ethnic cultures and like um the complexities and 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 teaching kids at a very young age about that because it's not talked about often and and they're going to be faced with people making comments and questions and they're going to be confused and I want to be able to use this project as a way to for them to start exploring their identity and I, I feel like my writing could be a way to bridge that all together and it, it, I get nervous thinking about it you know because it's like it's still my writing right but I you know I, I am getting more and more excited about being able to share this project with everyone so Thank you so much for sharing with us, with all of us. I think yeah. it's it's a brilliant idea. It's so meaningful. Um, the fact that you say it's it's written for your daughter, um, I, I I just find that very heartwarming, and um, and it, it's it's specific for your your daughter, yes. But these themes of like identity, the like, navigating of like one's ethnic and cultural backgrounds, and it, it it's going to apply to hundreds of thousands if not millions of uh, individuals uh, all around the world who probably are experiencing something very similar so yeah. I think that you know your approach to it from a very local level that being your daughter right um, will actually have these kind of ripple effects and the fact that you know you have your your voice um, through through writing to convey it is is really powerful and um yeah. And, you know, I, when I was hearing about like, oh, yeah, so your daughter is half Korean and, and half Mexican. 
um, it just it, it struck a, a, a chord with me because um, you know my mom is from South Korea, right? Mm-hmm. She's Korean, and then my dad is from from the U.S., right? Just kind of from California, and so I also struggled at times with the identity of like, mm-hmm. am I really that Korean? I don't feel that Korean, you know, having been born and uh, you know for the most part a very kind of um, how shall I say white neighborhood kind of middle middle class uh suburb near the beach area surfer culture and um and you know i never you know felt that strong um you know pull to be more korean and so anyway i guess what i'm trying to say is that like when you know when you have this book published um i will probably be crying as i read it because i'll I'll be like oh my god you know i'm seen (laughs) Um, yeah so yeah it's um there were during this process of writing the the book like there were it was very emotional right because um when i when i taught i have a friend all he's half malaysian chinese and half german polish mm-hmm. if i got that correctly um, <laughs> sounds like it's a lot yeah there's a lot going on there um but i do remember him expressing the confusion that he also had grown up unsure of like what what am I really like I'm not here or there I'm not more Malaysian Chinese or German I can't really speak either one of these languages I'm also here in Chicago this doesn't make sense to me and I I don't know why but it like it stuck with me and I will always remember having that conversation with him. And years later, I have I now have a daughter who is both Mexican and Korean. And I'm like, oh man. And so that conversation with my friend just popped back in. And I remember thinking about like, I want to do something to talk about this. What could that, what could I do? And I was like, let's write a book. Let's let's write a book. Let's write a book for kids, right? And that just somehow I'll figure out a way to talk about these very complex issues. And hopefully I can translate it well in a manner where kids can start understanding it. And maybe even some adults can understand it in a manner that makes sense to them. Right. Yeah. Well, we all have that inner kid. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So I am very excited about this. I, I, I think I finally got the drafts done and now it's just time to, the drawings going yeah man well take your time it's a very worthwhile uh, endeavor i don't know how you do it with all the the work and the family life and other projects that you do but you know you're juggling (laughs) it because that's what teachers do (laughs) we take it on and we just keep pushing if there's a really cool skill that i've gained as a teacher is to handle multiple things all at once and like i don't know how but these days i think the only way i've been doing it is like no sleep I'm just like, you know, I'll stay up a little later because I really want to do this. And if I have to lose a little bit of sleep, it's temporary. I'll go with that. So. Yeah. Well, sleep is important, man. I, I do wish you, you know, more hours of sleep. But um, but it's clear that, you know, your passions are so strong that you are happy to sacrifice some hours of, of, of shut-eye. And yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think the the resilience side of things, um, you know, it, it requires... Um, yeah, that inner fortitude, right? But also, I think a certain like a- attunement to how you process the emotional yeah. side of things. You mentioned SEL, the socio-emotional learning yeah. uh, skills, and so um, you know, I'm I'm a strong believer that um, well, in order to like teach on a set of skills, like you, you probably have to like know have some experience with that yourself, um, and then say, likewise goes to you know what does it mean to be a good citizen or dare I say a global citizen? You also have to embody some of those characteristics yourself with like empathy and compassion, like you mentioned, um, being some, you know, standout qualities um, that a global citizen should have. Right. I agree. I mean, like to be like, if you want to take a role in being a global citizen, like I I 100% think you have to have that compassion and empathy um, a respect for diversity, um, 
because pe obviously people are coming from all different parts of the world. They have their own stories. They have their own backgrounds. These um, things that we we don't know much about. So it's our it's it's up to us to go into things with like an open mind, a willingness to learn, a willingness to say like I don't know. So I want and 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 to actively listen to people's stories and 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 learn from them, right? Without that, like. I, I don't think you can be a global citizen. You 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 really have to um see that the that that everyone's stories are different and they matter, right? And their voice matters. And that there is something that we can draw from it and also learn from and grow from it, right? Um the interconnectedness piece of being a global citizen is is what really continues to stick with me like we are all somehow connected and this world is the only world that we got right so we we got to find a way to work together as cliche cliche and cheesy as that may be i i believe that right i i i think that we we just have to continue to find ways to work together to make this a better place a better world a a, a more sustainable world a more peaceful place and a loving place right i mean it's it's filled with a lot of things that can bring us down um but i don't want to be a part of that i want to be a part of the group that is going to find a way to bring positivity bring you know good change and um if it makes somebody's life a little bit better why not right um and sometimes we do need a little cheesy and corniness in our life, right? If we got to drop a little cheesy, corny line, why not? It makes us laugh and say, oh, that was lame. But then it sticks with you. And you're like, you know what, though? That's true. I like it, right? So Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, what inspiring words. I, I really, um, I was really enjoying everything that you just said. I was like, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't say it better myself. Um, so, you know, we, we are kind of, unfortunately, right, getting to the end uh, of our, our conversation. Um, it's been such a joy. Uh, I've I really learned so much from from you about how you've, you know, been very, like, intentional with, with your career in terms of what you want and what you don't want out of the experience. And, mm -hmm. you know, been so receptive to learning through tough times and, you know, kind of pushing through, like, out of the dark tunnel to see the light uh, of learning, let's say, with your students and also with yourself, right? So there's no empty rhetoric here, right? Very much, you know, you're living those values and uh, and you're taking it a step further because you're seeing those values for your daughter and you're doing something about it. So, you know, remember that, remember that, remember that you're amazing. So, um, you know, the last question, and this is kind of like an impossible ask for someone who is as well-read as yourself. Um, so maybe you want to take a different, you know, approach to it, but it's the the book recommendation. Um, it could be a movie recommendation too. You could just, you know, totally decide go in a different direction. But, um, but yeah, like what would what would you say is like a, either a recent book that you've had that you've read, or maybe a book that you always go back to that you think that there's some there's some wisdom there to share. That's a great question, and it's always hard to answer those types of questions. Um, I won't say like this is like my number one favorite book, but it's a book that I read right before I graduated. And I think this is part of the reason why I, I switched from journalism to pursue something education related. Um, it's a book called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World, and it's by John Wood. And he was on, he was this higher up personnel in Microsoft. And he was on a sabbatical in Nepal. I think he saw a school there and in this, the school library had one book in it. And he asked why. And it's because they didn't have enough money to get more books. And then the one book was locked up in the school, uh, the library closet. So the kids couldn't even get access to it. So from there, it, he just realized that there needs to be a change in education around the world. And he left his job, a high paying, highly respected job in Microsoft. And I remember reading that book and being like, there we go. All right. 
that's what I'm going to do. Not that I was like in a high position job. I was a, I was an entry level uh, editor at McGraw Hill, but still. That's the hero's journey though. That was it right there, you know? Mark. Yeah. So Leaving Microsoft to Change the World by John Wood. Uh, that's the book that comes to mind, at least related to how I got to where I am. Contributing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I, I haven't read that. So I, I'm very curious to to read it. Um, So thank you so much, Minim, for just with this whole conversation. It's been, uh, like I said, such a joy. Um, really excited to to hear updates about that that children's book. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just it's it's incredible. The interconnectedness piece that you were talking about. I mean, very much the case with how we we got connected as well in you know the cohort that we're we're doing and so definitely you know supporting one another i think is going to be the name of the game resilience as well <laughs> grit all of that you know d all of the above um so you know i, I just wanted to um you know give you the, the final word uh, before we we wrap things up we kind of end the the conversation so um any last final thoughts that you have about global citizenship or just yeah anything in general uh, just go in there with an open growth mindset. Uh, we're all humans at the end of the day. Learn to listen and before saying your piece and learn to love, right? And I believe that we are going to make a world a better place. Thank you so much, Midim, for being on the podcast with me. I really resonated with so much of what you shared as a fellow educator, as a fellow teacher. Um, I have been in the trenches myself and I really felt like you did such a wonderful job of, um, you know, explaining the difficulties that teachers experience on a day-to-day and year-to-year basis, but also um, recognizing that there is strength in the resilience as a teacher, that there are many lessons to be held from um, you know, the difficult situations that we are uh, confronted with and that we are forced to overcome. And, you know, through the resilience um, and being perseverant, um, I think there's a lot of important lessons to be, to be had about what it means to be a good teacher, a good citizen, a good human being in general. And the, um, you know, engagement that you have with your your students is so wonderful, right? That you have this emphasis on really bringing their voice out so that they can feel heard and seen and that they can you know, be empowered to take action on what they really believe in. And so, you know, there's, there's so much in this episode that um, I really, really enjoyed, you know, hearing about in terms of your, your activities as a instructional coach. And, um, and also these side projects that you have uh, with writing that really tie into global citizenship and what it means to hold multiple identities and to kind of be ready for the world and how you convey your voice. And so uh, once again, thank you so much for, for sharing that and look forward to having you on the podcast in the near future.